Hi, this is Jeff Coburn. We welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Imagine you had the chance to visit the Magic Kingdom of Walt Disney World in the days, weeks, and months right after opening. What would it have been like? Together with legendary, but alive, Disney historian Jim Corcus, we explored those earlier times. We talk about attractions that have come and gone, like the Greenhouse Flower Shop or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We talk about entertainment, like the Diamond Horseshoe Review, the Liberty Square Fife and Drum Corps, and the Pearly Band. Remember the Mile Long Bar? Do you remember what sodas you could get that you can't get today? And then there's Scat Cat and his band from the Aristocats parading down Main Street. Join us as we head to the Magic Kingdom of the early 1970s, hear unique stories from Jim that we share on this, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World's dedication on October 25th. And, oh, what about that Tomorrowland Railroad Station under construction? Yeah, more details on that. We share this and all the more. And then invite you to share with us what e-ticket ride would you go on if you had a chance to revisit the park back in 1971. We also invite you to visit disneyatplay.com where our show notes plus um, links to important uh, uh, key points of our experience and discussion today will be available. Make sure you subscribe to that so that you can get notification of posts and podcasts as we um, bring them to you. Well, without further ado, we're heading out to visit with Jim Corcus on this uh, interview that was uh, done on the 25th day of uh, Walt Disney World's dedication. That's when Roy actually dedicated the park. And so without further ado, let's visit with Jim. I am happy to report that I have found Jim Corcus. Yes. He is alive. <laughs> and, so, and sort of well. And Well, you know. <laughs> but we're just thrilled for a life yeah. <laughs> at this point. And we're sitting down for dinner here. And the, min- the very first thing that Jim talks about is the fact that on day one, you could get a tab soda at the Magic Kingdom because... Both Coke and... And Pepsi-Cola were were sponsors. And uh, Walt had them as sponsors at Disneyland because he felt that there was a difference in taste between the two, and so guests should have that opportunity, that chance. Now, of course, all of that changed when Epcot opened in uh, 1982. Big sponsorship there with Coca-Cola and... Uh, and and uh, both Coca-Cola American and Pepsi-Cola were offered the opportunity to sponsor the American Adventure. And Coca-Cola, op- uh, Coca-Cola decided, yes, we're going to go with that, but we want to be the sole provider of soft drinks on uh, uh, Disney property. So um, that, w- that was the case, and goodbye Pepsi-Cola that... Uh, had been sponsoring the Country Bear Jamboree and the Mile Long Bar there. Yeah, Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay, original sponsors <laughs> for... for uh, Disneyland. For the Country Bear Jamboree, right next door, you emptied out into Mile Long Bar, <laughs> which, if you don't know what that is, was two sets of mirrors against each other 
on the edges of the bar that made something that was probably not more than 15 feet, 20 feet, <laughs> look like it went on forever. Looked like it went on for a while. And mile. then our favorite uh, mounted heads, uh, Buff and... and uh, uh, all all uh, three of Max, them. From, Buff yeah. and Max and Melvin. Yes. I think that's... I think there I got that go. right on that. We're up on there and kind of giving one-liners here and there, if I recall correctly. Right. The and Diamond Horseshoe was doing Coca-Cola, right? A Diamond Horseshoe did not have a sponsor, ah. unlike the Golden Horseshoe. The Diamond Horseshoe started off being very similar, and, and again, since we're trying to confine it to 1971, it started off almost exactly similar to the Golden Horseshoe Review. In fact, they brought out Wally Bogue for several months uh, to get the, the show up and uh, running. Uh, and then uh, later his uh, understudy from Disneyland came over, uh, Hubby Burgess, Burgess, and took over uh, the traveling salesman role and did that for many years. At, uh, and I have to give a shout out to Mike Strickland, an old friend of mine who did it for a few years as well. There you go. And uh, before it became uh, Diamond Jamboree. Yes. And, uh, and back then, of course, you had to... You had to Stand in line. I assume you stood in line at the yes, uh, Carefree it, it, House. Because, again, yeah. it, it was a free attraction. Yeah. But, again... To get a reservation, you had to stand in line. Limited seating. And if... I, I never... I don't remember seeing the Diamond Horseshoe, but if the food was like the one at the Golden Horseshoe, you were getting sandwiches... Yes. Brownies. Wrapped in Wrapped in wax foil. <laughs> Do you remember those that wax yes. paper? Yes, I, with, yes, I with do. your sideline of Frito chips, and this is high. No wonder they've gotten rid of the show. They they got they wanted to charge more on the dining now, for that now, time. Now, those of you who are those uh, uh, Disney experts for your friends and family, you can show off and say one of the major differences uh, between the Diamond Horseshoe and the Golden Horseshoe is that the bar was on the opposite side. That's right. That is right. Which just, just is hardly worth noticing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 know but, that, I know that and everybody wants to what, notice everything. What I noticed about it is they had done, a, I can't remember who did it, but somebody did a terrific uh, backdrop for the diamond that yes. was a reflection of the audience. Yes. And that was, I, and I'm, I, I can't even remember which Disney artist did that. Maybe it was Bill no. Justice, somebody. But it was such a great piece. And every time I looked at an image, I could say, well, that's Diamond. Because they right. had ownership of that backdrop for so long. There you go. Um, and, so, and see, I love that show. And I, I, oh, I was yeah. so sad when that that closed. You know, just as I'm, uh, I was sad when uh, so much live entertainment disappeared from the park. You know? Uh, Merlin, well, I blame Merlin my, the Magician. I, I blame my business partner, Mark, for firing the band. But notwithstanding, <laughs> notwithstanding there were some really great original pieces. And, mm -hmm. and, and in the early days, one of the things I remember, I think I mentioned this on a previous yes. podcast, is that the Disneyland band would play, or the Walt Disney World band would play. This is the same kind of uh, uh, model from the Disneyland. They would play... Go down the street, maybe play around town square, doing a little concert. And then they, in the 
late morning, early afternoon, they would break up into different groups. And so you would have a little German polka band or a little pearly uh, band or something. Saxophones. With with kind of a fireman kind of, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. a Firehouse 5 kind of feel to it. And they would break up into different groups. And then they'd come back together again at the end of the day and, and, and do another march and and uh, a ceremony around the flagpole and so forth. But that was all, all part of the entertainment. And, of course, parades, the parade was you, you had the characters just marching down the street right, right behind the band. It was uh, the, the parade prov- or the band provided the music. Mm-hmm. And the characters just came yeah, behind. And, and, and there was no designated area to meet and greet. Uh, the characters, so it was just serendipity where you would find them. Uh, a lot in, of them, in, in a the lot park. of them would was would assemble right in front of Cinderella Castle mm-hmm. before there was a stage. Yes, you know, remember it was just that 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 bridge going up on both sides, and then it was just kind of an alcove, and a lot of them would choose to to do a meet and greet there, and um, and and you would find them from time to time in. And and those were in those early days. That was the first time I saw um, Scat Cat and the <laughs> other members of the Aristocat band playing in groovy neon colors. Because again, it's the '70s, and that's the latest Disney animated uh, feature that is out there. And the very first friend of Mickey Mouse at Walt Disney World was Doug Parks. Who was uh, mm. four foot eight? He he was the one who was standing there next to um, uh, Roy at the dedication. And in fact, John Hench told me that Roy was standing there, and and Roy didn't like to make public, you know, speeches and all that. Yeah. And he looked around and he whispered, "Somebody find Mickey Mouse, uh, because since Walt is not here, Mickey is the closest thing we have to Walt. So I want him here." When we do this dedication. Which dedication was 50 years ago today. Mm-hmm. 50 years ago today. Am I correct? I, I think it is the Yes, 20, October 25th. 25th. Are we, yeah, we're recording on the 25th, I think. Yes. And so, and, and so if a, not, a you lot, should pretend that we were recording on the 25th. And a lot of people get that confused because they think that, oh, well, the park opened on October, October 1st. 1st so the drums, been... the Meredith Wilson leading... The uh, thousand one uh, trombones, a thousand and seventy six thousand seventy six trombones. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. Thousand seventy six trombones going down Main Street. The balloon release uh, with the Boy Scouts, you know, going up all those balloons in the air, which played forever and ever on the right. segment beginning the wonderful world of Disney. And the Dapper Dan's got in trouble that day because backstage. You know, over by where the car barn is and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Meredith Wilson was there, and he loved barbershop quartets. You know, they, of course, in the Music Man, you have barbershop quartets. Oh, yeah. And so with the Dapper Dans there, they were singing barbershop quartet songs, and a Disney executive came by and reprimanded the Dapper Dans because they said, well, that can be heard, you know, on Main Street, so you need to stop that. Stop that right now. And... Um, Again, the uh, uh, two, uh, several of the uh, Dapper Dans actually had come from uh, Disneyland to start up that uh, that group, and of course there was the Harmony Barbershop. Yes, on Center Street. Street. 
Center Street, back in the back of Center Street. And I think, I think they also had the flowers. Right. Uh, which, I tell you, Jim, that was like one of the most photogenic places. It was that flower shop on Center Street. Which, uh, with all of its beautiful fake artificial <laughs> arrangements, but people came and always took photos but, around. But, but again, and, and this, this is one of the, those things that just drives me crazy, is when they closed off that part of Center Street. Yes. They destroyed the Which became part of the Emporium. Yes, because Center Street was meant uh, to serve as a storytelling device, first off, to break up your walk down Main Street, Okay. Second off, the center street, you know, went and then curved. And that was to create the illusion of an infinity street. Yes. It would go on. Yes. Even though consciously you knew, no, it blocks off there and there's a cast exit. You know, it gave that sense of, you know. Still does that on the east side beautifully, but mm-hmm. but you uh, now you miss it on the west side. Yes, it, it, it's blocked that off and... Simply because they had area that was not generating income. And so Walt's feeling was, yes, you're going to have lots of things that are not going to generate income, but they're creating that ambience. They're creating that feel. They're creating that Disney difference. Why why being in a Disney park is different than being at Universal or being at SeaWorld or being at Marineland or whatever. You have these little uh, attention to detail uh, bits there. And so uh, oftentimes uh, changes have been made to uh, Walt Disney World by people who didn't know why that was there in the first place. You know, they've removed a lot of benches, you know, because they don't want people sitting around. They want them going into the shops. They want them going onto the attractions. Walt's feeling was, if people can just come in and sit down and relax, they'll feel so good, they'll, they'll go and they'll buy something and all that. Uh, when my mom and dad uh, were alive, uh, some of their great joys were going into the parks and just sitting on the bench and watching people. They, they didn't want to rush to the rides. They didn't want to, you know, it was like, this is nice. This is pleasant. It's a park. Yeah. Disneyland Park, Magic Park. Kingdom Park, you know. And so, you know, we, we've seen a lot of changes since 71. You know, that in 71, there was an entire different entrance to Liberty Square. You know, they had all of the flagpoles and all of when that. When you say a little, yeah, it was flagpoles, but also the bridge mm-hmm. had a curvature to it. Because it was supposed to be um, the Concord Bridge. Exactly. Now, of course, that got that flattened in order to accommodate parade floats. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, let's keep talking about that entertainment. Fife and Drum oh, gosh, would come yes. and play at Liberty Square. That was a favorite of so many, especially because they they would choose a boy and girl mm-hmm. um, to be the sons and daughters sons of and Liberty. Daughter of Liberty, tied to of course Johnny Tremaine and and the Liberty Tree that was right there at that time. Um, Jim, you were talking to me the other day. I, there was. Uh, there were two river boats, and the first one, uh, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, was a double stack, similar to the Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. It was in a bad accident, yes. <laughs> for lack of a better term. The Richard Irvine was the one, I think. I think that was the Fowler. I think the Irvine was the one that survived, yes. and it, the single stack is still there today. But you were talking about the Columbia. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, tell me, tell me what happened. Because in the early drawings, I did see mm-hmm. there was always a steamboat there. But, oh, Liberty Square is a 1700... Riverboats didn't come until the 1830s, you know, with Fult, Robert Fulton and steam. And even then, the grand ones came later. A Columbia sailing where, ship where, would have been so much better. Well, I, I, again, you know, as with many decisions at Disney, it comes down to money and it comes down to time. And so they were going to have the Columbia sailing ship exactly as they had at Disneyland because, again, they were using Disneyland as a model. This works at Disneyland. Let's, so you know, transport it. Right. And so they were going to have the sailing ship Columbia. That's why it's named the Columbia Harbor House. And for those of you who are uh, really perceptive, if you take a look at uh, Walt Disney World's version of uh, Haunted Mansion, I'm, I'm sure immediately you guys go, oh yes, Hudson River Valley, it's, it's you know Washington Irving. Look at the wall along the rivers of America, right. and it is a seawall meant for ships that would have been on the ocean out there and sailing. And so, you know, So, at any rate, that got cut. That's okay. And that's the rest of that story. But, <laughs> but, the, but, but, oh, it would have been a very different Rivers of America. So, the Columbia bit the bullet because of budget. Yes. Never got built. Well, and, and, and also because of the deadline. You know, you're, you're rushing so close to get things done. Some things aren't going to get com- completed, and you of all people know that when Walt Disney World opened, it uh, they kept referring to it as Phase One. Yes, this is just Phase One. This is just the beginning, because we have these other things planned: the Western River Expedition, all of this. Well, there wasn't even a mark at Tom Sawyer Island yet. You no, know? There they wasn't. hadn't. They hadn't floated the logs out there yet. So, so yeah, they had a lot to go. And, uh, and Adventureland, of course, was smaller because there was no pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of stopped there. Can't remember. Well, because they didn't want pirates because they felt, well, this is in Florida. People are, are pirated. Close to the Caribbean. But yeah, pirate, are pirated out. There are pirate museums they can go to. There, there's all of this, you know. That's why they were going to go with Western River Expedition, which was referred to as Cowboys of the Caribbean <laughs> because it, it, it was a, an attraction that was almost beat for beat Pirates of the Caribbean but you have cowboys, you have Native Americans, you have uh, exaggerated cartoony animals you know. But day one things weren't things weren't all open on October 1st. I no. think the Columbia Harbor House was one of those later Right. And if you want to see Walt Disney World back in the early 70s, go to Columbia Harbor House where everything is done with macrame and decoupage. <laughs> the, tr- the, true, the true crafts of the 1970s. Oh, my <laughs> it's still all there. So. It, it, you know, it, it is. You know, there's, I, as, as I said, so much of it has disappeared since then. And again, uh, Disney's middle name is Jello. It's constantly changing. And um, so let's talk about a couple of things in Fantasyland. I don't, I don't know that right off the bat on day one, 
20,000 Leagues was no, ready it, either. It was, it were, no. And, and that was uh, Tony Baxter's really first big project. Big deal. Painting, painting the fish and getting them, getting them and, in there. And, and, and he said, you know, uh, and, and again, we tend to forget this, that, um, and it was culture shock for me when I moved out here from California to Florida. It's a whole different culture out here. It's a whole different lifestyle. It's a whole different, you know, uh, I, I discovered that fast food is really not fast in Orlando. <laughs> um, but, but again, he was, he was used to working with people out in California. Suddenly he's working with people in Orlando. And they're, uh, the lost city of Atlantis, they're doing this, you know, perfectly. And he said, no, 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 this is the lost city. It's, it's been underwater it's for be centuries aged. and aged. And, and, and he said it was like looking at raccoons in the headlights. And so what he did is he took a hammer and on one edge is he smashed part of it, cracked part of it. And he said, so something like that. And he said, I came back in a week and every single corner was exactly <laughs> smashed the way I had smashed that particular corner. Oh, no, 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 no. And, uh, yeah, they told, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I've interviewed a lot of those folks who opened Walt Disney World, and they said, yeah, we needed somebody to do stained glass for the Cinderella Castle, but there was nobody out here who knew how to do stained glass, so we had to teach somebody how to do stained glass. Um, of course, Coors beer did not exist, you know, uh, east of the... East of the Rockies. Of, right. And so what they did, because they loved Coors beer from California, is uh, they would ship it out in boxes labeled Peter Pan's Flight Mechanics. <laughs> I remember hearing about this. And, uh, you know, so... And, and they, they couldn't find anybody uh, uh, to do good Mexican food. Now, there was Cuban food, there was all of that, right, but there was but not, not good not, Mexican, not Mexican food that they had been used to uh, out in California. So they, they had to, to find some little old guy in a, in a uh, house and teach him how to cook uh, Mexican food. And we were talking earlier in the drive over here about the Bamboo Lounge. Yes, on 535. <laughs> That was that was the equivalent of the Disneyland monorail bar out in California. Yeah, it, it, it was a real dive bar. I, it, it was it was the t- I only went there once, and that was in its later years before it was eventually torn down. And it really was when you entered, it was dark, and you feared for your life. But the walls were covered with things from Disney, including artwork. From Imagineers, who, because that had been the only bar and was the closest bar to uh, Walt Disney World property. We well, and and back then, 192 was single lane roads. Um, again, one of the scary, scary places to drive on. Um, so it, yeah, it was a different time. The minute you got off property, you didn't have much of anything supporting what you were trying to do. Um, I want to go back to Fantasyland. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great... We talked about photogenic photo spots, but 20,000. Yes. Man, people caught it, whether they were standing on the shore or they were aiming their camera down from the skyway. Um, it was a GAF photo spot. It was and, long and, and, before and, Kodak. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, the original uh, photograph... Uh, uh, lessee sponsor at Walt Disney World was GAF, the GAF, Great American Film, which you could get the GAF ViewMaster 
real. Mm-hmm. I collected all of them. That's how I, I learned about what I learned about Walt Disney World by staring <laughs> at GAF Viewmaster reels <laughs> to no end. You know, I learned that Small World was a flooded plane as opposed to yeah. I mean, just the details that I would learn well, and, from and, looking and, and at I'm, those I'm things. I'm really surprised that nobody has gone back and taken those images from those Viewmasters and publish them in a book. Oh, I, I'm trying on that. I'm actually trying to do that. <laughs> where, where, I was working on that about a month ago, so that may still be a part of our Walt Disney World anniversary, which is really 18 months. So give me, <laughs> I have a couple more months to go. Um, yeah, and, and in GAF, you may not realize this, they were the ones who produced the first guidebook. Oh yes, the first oh, yes. guide map for Disneyland, and yes. again they they listed you know photo locations. Yes, too. and 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 tips for taking pictures, and one of the most important. I hope everybody's taking notes on this one. <laughs> one of the most important things is to know is that at night when the fireworks are going on, it takes a hundred thousand flash um, flashes on your camera in order to light up that Cinderella castle. So if you don't have a good you know, exposure thing. Don't don't bother doing the flash thing. You know, I always remember that. Always great, great photo <laughs> tips from GAF. I, I think I shared them in a previous podcast. So I have to look for that. Anyway, Fantasy Fair mm-hmm. was one of those. It was like, do you remember? It was that little corner behind. Um, it was before Ariel's Grotto. It was a little circus kind of corner stand behind Dumbo, and that was one of those other places where. The band would break up and play. Right. Characters would go and dance. And that was some of your afternoon entertainment out of um, out of the Magic Kingdom in those early years. Well, again, and that, that was what Walt wanted, was that he didn't want you to constantly be reaching into your pocket to pull out money. Yeah. You know, he, he wanted there to be things that you could just enjoy. You know, I, I think he once complained to um, journalist Pete Martin. He, he says, people say that Disneyland is so expensive. He says, all they have to do is pay the admission. They can come in and they can use my clean restrooms. They can see all the free entertainment. You know, I have free exhibits. Well, and they did have free exhibits, which is a really great place to move to. Tomorrowland, which was full of attractions from tomorrow because it wasn't open today. <laughs> uh, but there were a couple of things. The Tomorrowland Grand Prix Raceway is right. what we referred to it. The Skywake heading in and out of Tomorrowland. Oh my gosh, I missed the Skyway. It, 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 I will tell you though, it was scary being in the Skyway because it could be bumpy, especially when it, it got to that turn. Between Fantasyland yeah. and Tomorrowland. So it, it, unlike Disneyland, which was a straight shoot up in the air, you had to land down in the middle of the speedway where it then went through a turntable yes. and went back up, similar to what the Skyliner does between um, Riviera and Epcot. And you know, one of the things I miss about Skyliner that I bet none of your listeners remember is when you took that Skyliner through Fantasyland, you're going over Geppetto's. They purposely designed it so it looked exactly like the opening from the animated feature film. Oh. 
so you could take a picture and you could compare it with the only well, animated feature film. It was the. I'm exact glad you same. mentioned that because one of the things, even though they did a lot of the troubadour tent kind of look, right. in the front of Fantasyland, boy, they they poured a lot of attention on that Pinocchio Village House. Oh God! And and the detail, the kind of and the and the uh, bell tower, and all of that involved there. The funny is, thing about the bell lovely. tower, John Hench found that bell in an old mission in California. No kidding. But then what happened is before it got shipped to Florida, somebody thought, oh, let's polish this and let's pound out the dents. So by the time it arrived to, to Florida, it didn't have the same sound that Hench wanted, which is why you have the computerized sound of the bell. Oh, the you're kidding. It was going to be the actual bell ringing back and forth. Yeah, there's all these little things that, you know, and you've, you've met a lot of these people too. There's all of these wonderful stories that you never hear anywhere else. Uh, Jack Taylor, who later went on to be head of uh, Show Quality Standards, was working with uh, Waithel Rogers on the audio animatronics for... Um, Hall of Presidents, and they had to sleep there because in those days, the computers, it took forever to download the information. Oh, yeah. So they would take scraps of carpet from the floor and use that as a pillow to sleep on. And the night before opening of Walt Disney World, um, Michael Brogy told me this, is that Roger Brogy Jr. and his crew were so worried that if they left Walt Disney World, they might not be able to get back the next morning because the prediction was 300,000 people are going to show up, maybe more. So they decided, we'll sleep over here. And um, what they did is they decided to sleep in the Country Bear Jamboree because it was the only place that (laughs) had benches and cushions to to sleep on. And and so there's, there's this whole... You know, as we do all of these um, uh, celebrations for Walt Disney World, and I will admit, I was impressed with the ABC one-hour special on Walt Disney World, because usually when they do those specials, they bring in all these musical groups who I've never heard of before in my entire life, and may never hear of You're all Jim, keep going. And yeah, yeah, that music's too loud. I can't understand what they, they're saying. They, Get off of my lawn. They can't have Marie Osmond singing every year. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I thought they really concentrated on the parks. And that's what Walt said, is he said, you know, Disneyland is the star. And I thought the ABC special was well, and I thought the Fox News one-hour special that was... Yeah, no, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. And I've heard that Orlando Sentinel's book is pretty good, too. I have not on, seen on that On some of those early conversations when Walt and Roy were, were planning the park and at first announcing the park. Now, let me go back to Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. because I would be remiss. I brought up a couple of podcasts ago, this Frontierland... This Frontierland um, Railroad, or the Tomorrowland Railroad Station, and my belief that there is a photo that Time Magazine took of the Grand Prix with construction followed by the Contemporary, followed by um, uh, uh, more construction. Right. 
tell us what you think about this Tomorrowland Railroad, but which, by the way, was not only shown in the big park map you would carry around, but was also in that GAF mm-hmm. of Viewmaster, GAF, Viewmaster, GAF <laughs> uh, souvenir guide, I, I park guide. And if it's in GAF, it's got to be true. That's the, no, uh, the bottom line is, is uh, they were going to do a lot of similarities to Disneyland, and Disneyland had a train station in Tomorrowland. And so originally the plans were, yes, we're going to have a train station. But I don't think it ever got finished. And, and No, and, I don't think so either. And we certainly don't have a completed photo no. of it. And, uh, but, but yes, it was there. And, but then they also realized at Disneyland, you're going through the uh, Grand Canyon diorama. So you have that, that big uh, finale there. There is no finale oh, at yeah. Walt Disney World. Well, you know, and, and by the way, the Frontier, if I'm correct, the Frontierland Railroad Station did not open with Walt Disney World. No. Either it came about four, six, seven months later yeah, as well. well. Because, again, that's why it's called the Grand Tour. You're taking a Grand Tour. And the railroad was not just meant as transportation. It was meant to help you preview and get acclimated to where things are, you know, in the in the park, where, where all of that was. And again, you know, a nice little touch that people don't know is on the Walt Disney World Railroad, you know, uh, just as you pass um, Big Thunder Mountain, mm-hmm. there's the swing bridge. Yes. And the swing bridge swings so that water traffic can go through and can get to backstage. That swing bridge was actually a part of old Florida. It was saved from a bridge that was over the Indian River near Vero Beach. Did not know that. And just before that bridge was updated, Disney stepped in and purchased that and moved that. And again, there's all these wonderful little touches and I always tell people, make sure you look up, make sure you look down, make sure you look on the walls. Make sure you look around corners. You can never know what you might find. I have one last question, uh, Jim, for Only you. Only one? That's one good. last. I know, I know. I have on the back of my phone, my phone cover has an e-ticket from the early days. I'm going to name the e-ticket attractions. You tell me which one you would go on. If you only had one e-ticket attraction back in 1971, mm-hmm. you are good for a choice in Fantasyland of It's a Small World, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Mickey Mouse Review and Adventureland. You have a choice of the Jungle Cruise or the Tropical Serenade, i.e. Enchanted Tiki Room. And in Liberty Square, you have the Haunted Mansion. One e-ticket, which one's it going to be? I would probably go 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Big fan of, of the Jules Verne novel and the Disney film. And... Um, you know, since the since the submarines actually look like the submarines from the film, that's why it's in Fantasyland, not Tomorrowland. At Disneyland, they're in Tomorrowland because they're actual subs, or they were meant to represent the subs from the U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. At Walt Disney World, they're in Fantasyland because they're the Captain Nemo ones, and you know, we, and because we all know that medieval times included Captain Nemo. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Actually, it's not a bad transition point. Mm-hmm. We have to admit, it's not a bad transition. Now, I'm a little disappointed in your response, Jim, because I would have said the Mickey Mouse review. 
Did well, you ever get to the Mickey Mouse review, Jim? No. And, okay. and and the thing is, is I'm a huge fan of Mickey Mouse and a huge fan of Walt's original Mickey Mouse that was represented in the in the attraction. But I I think I, I, back in '71, I would have thought of that more of a as as a kiddie experience, much to my regret, much to my mm. current regret. And um, but apparently a lot of other people felt that way because it dropped from an E ticket very quickly down to a D ticket and then very quickly shipped off to Tokyo Disneyland where it was a big success for decades. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, the uh, Country Bear Jamboree jumped up to an E ticket. Mm-hmm. Hey guys. So, any rate. I'm sorry. Is the 20,000 well, no, it's still not there. So we got somebody next door asking if 20,000 Leagues is still there, and it's still not there. No, it's not there. Left 20 years ago. So it's all good. Well, Jim, thank you for taking the time and going down the early days of Walt Disney World with me. So it's such a pleasure to have you. Jeff, it's a pleasure to talk with someone who is, who is so knowledgeable and passionate about Disney and who always challenges me. You always come up, uh, you know, oftentimes I will deal with people who have the, the same question or the same type of question. So there, there's all, always that rote answer in my back pocket I can pull out. But you always come up with that, that little curveball there. Oh, that's the fun to part. To me work for it. That's the fun part. Now, if I want to know more about Walt, Disney World during those early days, your best book for doing that would be? It would be one that I wrote called The Unofficial Walt Disney World 1971 Companion. Oh, you got to see that. Which covers the entire history of Walt Disney World from 1958 when Walt was first thinking about moving to the East Coast. And so we go through all the way through all all the way through. and the resorts as well and the resorts as well and coming out in November yeah is the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary quiz master challenge <laughs> 500 verified questions and answers and when i say answers it was not just enough for me to write the correct answer i wrote a paragraph for each answer so you know why it's right or why the other choices would be wrong. Because it's all multiple choice, but there's 50 questions about Magic Kingdom, 50 about Epcot, 50 about uh, Disney uh, Hollywood Studios, and it keeps on going from there until we get 500. The smart move is just get on Amazon, type Jim Corcus, and just start clicking on all the boxes. <laughs> all. All of those boxes, because I can tell you that's going to make great Christmas gifts to your favorite Disney fan. I can only hope so. Hey, Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. My big thanks to Jim Corcus for joining us for this special Disney at Play podcast. And my thanks to you for joining us. This has been a great month as we have really uh, celebrated the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. If you haven't had a chance, there's so many other... A podcast to talk about uh, the uh, October 1st festivities and what happened there. We also have a wonderful review of Time Magazine and Life Magazine and what they produced uh, and showcased when Walt Disney World first opened. And uh, we have a three previous podcasts on Genie and what all that is about. So be sure to check out those 
podcasts and make sure you subscribe so you're notified when they come out. In addition, please visit us at the Wayfinder Society. This is our Patreon group that makes podcasts like this possible. And so we ask that you come check it out on DisneyandPlay.com. At the Wayfinder Society, you'll see all sorts of interactive tools that help you celebrate all things Disney. Be sure to check it out. Again, thanks for joining us. We hope you have a great day. And remember in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.